Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Welcome back, everybody. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're all set to go against the spread in this week's college and pro football cards. Week number eight of the National Football League season as we approach midway throughout the 2019 football season. And with that, I want to welcome our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports into the show. Victor, I hope your week was a good week last week, and I hope you like the football card this week as well. I like the football card this week. It's also day two of the 2019-2020 NBA season. Of course, we're recording the podcast on Wednesday morning. And we had the Raptors and the Clippers as victors in day one of the NBA season. And before I get into our review of the Playbook Football newsletters, you heard it here first, Mark. The Golden State Warriors team will not even finish in the top four of the Western Conference this season. They'll be lucky to make the playoffs. I project Golden State to finish somewhere around number five or number six in the Western Conference. Wow, big step back for the Golden State Warriors this yep. year. Perennial champions and all, one of the all-time legendary teams, arguably, in the NBA annals. And uh, I guess that case can be made largely because of Kevin Durant not being there and the concern about Clay Thompson so forth yep. and whatnot with the Warriors. That and the fact, I think, Victor, if you also throw in the uh, the other parts of the puzzle of other teams being well stocked this year in the mm-hmm. NBA West division, the LA Clippers did a, a real nice overhaul. The Lakers reel in Antonio Davis. And, uh, you know, it looks like it's all up for grabs in the West as it usually is. But one of those teams up for grabs might not be, as you mentioned, the golden state Warriors. So we'll put that down on our to watch list throughout the course of the NBA basketball season this year. As you mentioned, the NBA did tip off Tuesday night with, the aforementioned L.A. Clippers pulling an upset, if you will, as a home underdog when they beat the Lakers. It'll be nice to see basketball back on a daily basis here in the NBA. Let's get over to the football side of things this week, if we will, on the show. And let's kick it off with the college football scene and what it is that we learned in the world of college football last week. And I'll start it off, Victor, about what it is that I learned right at the top of the show. And the things that I learned is that Throughout the course of this time of the season, when you have these undefeated football teams, and we're down to 10 of them now, 10 undefeated teams in the FBS, three of them coming out of the Big Ten, two from the Big 12 and the SEC, one from the ACC, and two of them group of five teams. But what we're going to see, this pattern is going to continue to keep evolving, and that is that the noose gets tighter and tighter for these undefeated football teams. We saw that last week, uh, I, I think case in point, exclamation point on the Wisconsin Badgers who were obviously caught looking ahead to the Ohio State Buckeyes when they went into Illinois last week, played a very sloppy football game, and they paid the price. Now this football game against the Buckeyes this weekend will not be what could have been the game of the year in college football. It'll be a good football game, and I think there'll be a lot of eyes still drawn to the contest, but the Badgers go in with their first loss of the season hanging over them. 
We also saw another undefeated team fall last week, and Boise State bit the bullet. So we'll see out of these 10 undefeated teams that are going into play this week, how many of them survive. And the one note that I'll throw out there, Victor, about the noose getting tighter and tighter on these undefeated teams, and we'll lay this out as we always do in the Playbook Football Newsletter. When in our smart box, we will lay out all the parameters about what teams qualify with the noose as it tightens. I will say this, that the news generally tightens for these football teams when they're on the road with an undefeated football team. There's nothing like a live home dog in college football to knock off an undefeated football team, as the people in Illinois know this weekend. That was my first observation of what I learned on the football card last week. What about you, Victor? What was your take on the college football scene? Well, first off, uh, what I learned is... I think overall we do a pretty good job with our newsletters. Anytime we get a week in which the playbook newsletter, the midweek alert, and the total tip sheet all turn a profit in the same week, that's a good week. I've got the uh, playbook newsletter, what, four and three last week, midweek alert, I believe, swept the board, right, with Oregon State, Oregon, and the Minnesota Vikings, a slight profit in the total tip sheet, two, one, and one overall. So, uh, obviously, it would be a good time to uh, check out the playbook.com website and uh, grab uh, one or all three of this week's newsletters. You mentioned home dogs in terms of college football. I love your little smart box blurb this week on laser-focused home dogs. That's on page three of our playbook newsletter number 10. So, uh, so far, so good in regards to the newsletters. Now, Mark, what I learned in college football last week is, number one, I don't bet a lot of over-unders in college football. Maybe, oh, one, two, three, maybe four on a Saturday tops. But there was a game in which uh, I wagered on that, yeah, there was a little bit of a bad beat. And whenever I lose a game in this fashion, uh, the ideas start floating in my brain. And number one, we will say that in terms of college football uh, totals plays, Georgia Southern game, the Sun Belt game on Saturday, in which uh, yeah, I played a few dollars on the under 43 in that particular game. We looked at the weather forecast. It looked like it'd be pretty sloppy down there. A quagmire, two run-focused teams, and uh, I was uh, pretty sure that the under was a good play in that particular game. And, in fact, uh, it was. The game was 10-10. to 10. And what do you know, though? The game went into overtime. Coastal Carolina, Georgia, and Southern tied at 10 points. And then that's kind of when all hell broke loose. And that's what happens in overtime periods by far. We had each team score a seven-point touchdown in overtime. We had each team score a seven-point touchdown in second overtime. And then we got a 25-yard field goal in the third overtime followed by a Georgia Southern touchdown to win the game 30-27. to 27. All of a sudden, we were there, of course, with only 20 points. The next thing we knew, we had lost the game by 14 points. 37 points were scored in that college overtime oh. <laughs> period. Again, all in a quagmire. And I've said it before, we'll say it again. College football unders. They go to die when they head into overtime. I mean, hey, they don't call it undertime, do they? They call it overtime, <laughs> and it is uh, specifically for reasons like that, where you could conceivably 
get 30, 40, even 50 total points scored in an overtime period. I don't like it as an underbetter. And it brings up something that I've thought about for a long time in terms of totals betters. And it doesn't matter. We could talk about any of the mainstream sports here. But, Mark, it's a good topic for discussion, even debate. Maybe we can hit up some of our buddies out in Vegas to talk about it a little bit more. But I don't know why the sports books do not offer an over-under wager for regulation play only. Not the full game, which includes an overtime period, but regulation play over. Offer an over-underline for regulation play only. And you could apply this to Major League Baseball, a nine-inning over-underline. You could apply it to college basketball and NBA basketball. Let's let's shoot out a over-underline for regulation play only. Obviously, you could do it in college football and the NFL as well, where I don't know whether you pay a little bit extra juice, maybe a dollar twenty rather than a dollar ten to play an over-under in regulation only. I don't know whether it would require you to maybe perhaps drop the over-underline two to four points. But it seems to me that there could be a lot of money made for the sportsbooks out there if they offered an over-under line for regulation play only. Do you have any thoughts on that for some of us frustrated underbetters, Mark? You know, I do have some thoughts on that, Victor. And uh, I've often thought many times about in being an underdog player, no, there's nothing more frustrating. Like you, a totals player, me, an underdog player, of wagering on a game and having it go to overtime because it almost always blows up the pot, if you will. Uh, underdogs find ways to give those tickets away. Under totals find ways to blow up as well. And, you know, I've often wondered why Vegas does not offer an insurance play on overtime. Uh, in fact, I'm going to run this by Jay Cornegay, my good friend at the Westgate Superbook, and see what his answer to this would directly would be. Uh, and, you know, they're in business for one for one reason, and that's to create action. And the more action they can create, the more bets they'll take, the more of a handle they'll have, and the better position that they'll be in. And it only seems natural to me that in offering overtime insurance and maybe paying a dollar twenty instead of a dollar ten, one that ten cents difference is a huge, huge edge for the house. Uh, and two, the better might feel comfortable, especially if he's stepping up and stepping out on a play, a major play that he's making an underdog with or an under total. And doing such as that. So I will do this. I will reach out to Jay Cornegay between now and our next podcast next week. And I'll let you know what Jay had to say about that. Right. And, uh, I, think, I think it could only end up serving not only uh, the better as well, but also the sports books as well as indeed. And I think it's a great point, And we'll share the response come next week on the show this week. One other quick thought, Victor, that I have and what I learned last week in the world of college football is that. The hot seat continues to get hotter and hotter for certain college football coaches. It almost always happens year in and year out, and we're seeing it once again this football season. Last week when Vanderbilt lost at home, and perhaps arguably, I'm saying arguably because there's been quite a few upsets uh, this football season here, Illinois' takedown of Wisconsin last week being a classic case. But when Vanderbilt lost at home to UNLV, my goodness, UNLV, one of the dregs of college football on their home field, it only certified the fact that Derek Mason is indeed a coach waiting to walk the plank. 
And it's going to end up happening at Vanderbilt by the end of the football season here. I just hope it doesn't happen between now and the end of the season here, because when you do make coaching changes in midseason, it's never any good for the football team. Uh, but he is certainly amongst those that are at the top of the hot seat list. We've talked before about Willie Taggart from Florida State and the disgraceful job that he's done since taking over that football program here. All you need to do is look at their win-loss record since he's been the head coach there. And it only confirms our notion that Willie Taggart will also be bought out of his contract sooner than later. Two other coaches, Victor, that I also note that I think are sitting potentially on the hot seat. One is Chad Morris at Arkansas, who, when he was hired, I thought he was a great hire. Come over from SMU with a kind of a wide-open offense, and I thought he would fit real well in the SEC. But it's that's not happening, and it's largely not happening because... It's difficult to out-recruit the Alabamas, the Auburns, the LSUs in the Southeast Conference. It's the neighborhood they live in. It's very, very difficult to compete when you don't have the athletes. In fact, there's even talk in the wind about approaching Mike Leach from BYU to see whether or not he would be interested in the Arkansas job. It would take a lot of money to do that, but I think it would be money well spent for Arkansas. And one last coach of mention here, down in our neighborhood, if I look out the back our back window looking down south here, Manny Diaz from Miami of Florida. Now, I know the athletic director there contends that he's there's no uh, even a whisper of a thought of replacing Manny Diaz. But if they don't start winning football games between now and season's end, there will be no excuses. And there may be a reason that Mark Rick got out of the program here because of maybe what he didn't see as far as the cover being full in Miami here. And Manny Diaz inherited that. But the bottom line here is it's a football team that is doing terrific in the games, on the field, in the stats. They've only been out-yarded one time this year, yet they have a losing record for the football season here. That has got to turn around for Miami and Manny Diaz if he wants to be a head coach for the Hurricanes come next football season. That was my other take, Victor, on what I've learned so far in the college football season. Anything from you as far as the college scene goes last week? Well, one more guy that I'll throw on the hot seat list is... uh... Uh, the punching bag team from the Big Ten Conference, that would be Chris Ash in his fourth year for the <laughs> piss-poor Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And uh, to add insult to injury, this team is a home underdog of more than a touchdown this week to a lousy group of five conference team, in this case an independence team, in the Liberty Flames. When was the last time? A Big Ten team was a touchdown or more home dog underdog against a group of five conference team. I don't know if it's ever happened. Second last in total offense this season, Rutgers, number 129. Dead last. The only team that's ahead of them is Old Dominion at 242 yards a game. Dead last in scoring offense this season, 11.1 points per game. Number 108 in total defense, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Number 123 in scoring defense. And check this out. In Big Ten play this year, Rutgers has been outscored 207-14. to The average score in Big Ten conference games is Rutgers losing by a score of 41.4 to 2.8. That's their average in Big Ten play. <laughs> you think they made a colossal mistake joining the Big Ten? Are you kidding me? If this team can't compete with the teams of like Buffalo or Massachusetts – how is it supposed to compete against Ohio State or Penn State? It should go back to the days when it was playing Colgate or Lehigh. So, yeah, Chris Ash on the hot seat. 
Well, Chris Ash already out at Rutgers. Uh, he was replaced, as you know, Victor, back in that Michigan football game uh, after they got beat 52 to nothing. In another 52 blank. to nothing four weeks ago, yes. Yeah, in another blank job. So now it's Nunzio Campanile, the uh, interim head coach at Rutgers, who Thank you. you will not be able to read about next year. He'll be the answer to a trivia teaser of who it was that replaced Chris Ash, but it is a pathetic situation going on at Rutgers. This could well indeed have been our rant of the week, but we saved it for something better on as we (laughs) close out our our, our NFL football segment. Thank you. Thanks for the correction. (laughs) And and speaking about our NFL football segment here, Victor, uh, let's switch it over to there. And uh, I did notice this last week of what it is that I learned. We talked last on the last show last week about the tremendous success that National Football League road dogs have had this season, dogs in general, but road dogs specifically. And I noticed that uh, for the first time that favorites in the National Football League overall, road or home, finally had semblance a semblance of a decent winning week. What was your take, Victor, on what you saw as far as favorites, dogs, road teams, and home teams go in the National Football League? You know, we touched just briefly last week on the fact that in the good old days of uh, betting and handicapping, you would assign a specific home field advantage to every team in that league, whether it's NBA, college basketball, college football, pro football. That doesn't happen these days. It's a lot more sophisticated. The home court advantage should be different for every single team throughout any league. It's not a blanket three points anymore in the NFL it's certainly not this season. It was another big week for road teams last week in the NFL, and I'm talking about combined road underdogs and road favorites as road teams went 9-4-1 and one against the spread last week. On the season now, NFL road teams have been a sterling 64-38-2 against the spread. That's 63% against the spread. And it breaks down to 44-24 for dogs. That's 65%. And almost as good for faves, 20-12 and 12 ATS for road favorites at 63%. The best ATS situation this year for road teams has been 30-9 and 9 ATS. That's 77% for all road teams taking on an opponent coming in off a straight-up loss. There are four of these road teams going this week. We'll let the uh, listeners uh, determine who those four road teams are. But, yeah, you mentioned it. Another big week for road teams, even some big road favorites. Yeah, we'll see how that shakes out this football season here. It's obviously been a good year for those road dogs. Uh, I wrote about that in this week's column of the USA Today and pointed out the fact of of the great success they've met with. But we do know that uh, what goes up usually comes down in the National Football League. So we'll see where that total settles by the end of the 2019 football season. One other quick note that uh, I picked up on here, and this is once again from our good friend Steve Crabb, the Texas Tornado in Dallas, and he commented on the fact, and I was not aware of this, and it really is eye-opening about the success of football teams or the lack of success of teams that run the ball effectively or those that don't. And if you look at last week's breakdown of the Chicago Bears-New Orleans Saints football game, Steve called out this fact, and this is really eye-opening that in that football contest, the Bears rushed the football for seven attempts. They passed 54 times. That's a 7 to 54 ratio in a football game in the National Football League. It was the lowest rushing attempts total by any Chicago Bear football team in their entire team history. And for that, 
head coach Matt Nagy should be reprimanded. I mean, you cannot go into a football game and ask your football team to not establish a run in this league and expect to win a football game. It got out of hand early for the Bears, and it never got any better. I can assure you that between now and uh, the next week or two against the Chargers this week when they play Philadelphia, the Bears will begin to have to establish a running game at some point in time. What's even more mysterious to me, Victor, is the fact that it happened after a bye week. Uh, yeah. It's not like it's not like the team was worn down, tired, and uh, injured or depleted at the running back position here. That was their game plan, and it was absolutely ridiculous. And as Steve says, uh, one of our favorite quotes, and it comes from comes from uh, Morgan Wallen. The, I think I mentioned this on the show, maybe a show or two in the past. But our good friend Charles Milstead and his beautiful wife Kathy, uh, his her daughter plays uh, guitar, lead guitar in a country band called Morgan Wallen. And one of their popular songs that they've run, they played the song and they wear a hat. It's called Run the Damn Ball. And that's exactly what uh, they sh- you should be seeing uh, on the headset of Matt Nagy this football season. Run the damn ball because the Chicago Bears are in a deep world of hurt if they don't establish just that. Any other take you had, Victor, on what you saw and what you learned in the NFL last week before we head into our rant of the week? In regards to that particular game, I was thrilled by the outcome because I had the Saints as a selection in the Wise Guy contest, and uh, it was a nice outcome. Now, sharp betters already know that the Bears were a good play against team this season when they finished 12-4 and last year. They were a prime candidate for a 2019 regression, and we are certainly seeing that. But talk about getting out of your comfort zone and running the ball only seven times. Uh, <laughs> This guy, uh, Nagy, uh, looked like a uh, savant last year, <laughs> and uh, it's basically just the opposite this season. Another team that's had some absolutely horrific rushing numbers, and Steve brought it to our attention as well, our buddy Texas Tornado. The fact that the winless Cincinnati Bengals have been outrushed this season through seven games by a total count of 1,323 yards allowed on the ground only 373 gained on the ground, Cincinnati Bengals. So it's no surprise they're dead last in rushing at only 53.3 yards per game and dead last in rushing defense, allowing 189.0 rushing yards on defense. Again, number 32, dead last. Uh, We thought it was bad down here in South Florida as we're kind of tanking for Tua, but it looks like uh, a uh, Cincinnati team, with Andy Dalton in the twilight of his years, might be uh, blowing for Joe themselves, or maybe uh, jerking around for Justin in terms of Justin <laughs> Herbert at quarterback. So there are a couple of other teams that are kind of joining the Dolphins in the tank party this season, and Cincinnati is one of them. Unquestionably, you know, a lot going on with Cincinnati, and it also leads to the question of, you know, why not Ryan Finley? For the Cincinnati Bengals, yeah, yeah. Andy Dalton's days, as you mentioned, Victor, are long in the rearview mirror here. They might end up possibly winning that first pick in the NFL draft this year. They might end up being even worse than Miami by season's end, if that's possible. And if so, they end up with the number one pick, and then they would know whether or not Ryan Finley is is an answer, or if not, should they go then for one of the top quarterbacks in the draft? But, you know, it might be time for Ryan Finley in Cincinnati these days, and it should happen sooner than later. With that, it's time. Let's get on to it now, Victor, for our rant of the week. And Jeff, if you would do the honors, please. 
And now, this week's rant from Mark and Victor. I want to start this off by saying this, and and I don't like making cases for games that I lost, and I'm, I'm crying towel because of a loss. But we used the Philadelphia Eagles last week as a big play uh, against the Dallas Cowboys, and we felt we had everything working for us in the game. Perhaps arguably a bad injury situation in the game, but nonetheless, uh, we liked our chances and we liked our stats. But what we didn't like is the fact that their head coach, Doug Peterson, went out of his way to say, in quote, that they're going down to Dallas to win this football game. And you've oftentimes, Victor, heard coaches reprimand players giving opponents locker room bulletin board material for making statements just like that. And I have to scratch my head and wonder what on earth was Doug Peterson thinking, knowing that he didn't have a full deck going down to Dallas. And why would he even want to wake up a sleeping giant in the Dallas Cowboys who were limping into that game off three losses in a row themselves? I still can't figure out for the life of me if it was just trying to build his team up with confidence, being brash, or simply a stupid mistake. And I'm going to vote for Three, a stupid mistake by Doug Peterson in, <laughs> in doing just that. I, again, I'm not crying because we lost the football game. We were beat, and we were beat soundly in the contest. It was not a good selection, in the, as it turned out. And I will learn from my mistakes because that's the thing we need to do as handicappers is learn from our mistakes because those will always help us down the road moving forward. And we will learn from that. We just have to make sure that we check the press clippings and make sure that not only are the players not talking it up, but the coaches as well. And that, Victor, is my rant on what happened last week in the NFL. Perhaps it affected me a little bit more personally than it should, but you know, when I read that, I almost wanted to throw up. Bottom line is, it happened, and hopefully we'll learn from that. Any other take you might have, Victor, on that or any other rant that you'd like to talk about this week? Well, you know, whether it was to jumpstart his boys or give him a little bit of confidence, he did predict a win. And they had their worst performance of the season. Now it's his mess to clean up. And it's already been a very, very long week uh, in Philadelphia. The night started really, really bad. That tight end, uh, uh, Goddard, Dallas Goddard, lost a fumble on Philadelphia's very first drive of the game, I believe. The Cowboys scored a few plays later. It did not get any better than that. Philadelphia played that game like it was a freaking preseason game number two while Dallas played it like it was a uh, playoff game. And there hasn't been one obvious big reason for the Eagles' failure. Uh, In that Detroit game, they dropped a ton of passes. Against Atlanta, they allowed that game-winning touchdown by Julio Jones on a fourth down, if you remember. And (laughs) remember, that's Atlanta's only win of the season thus far. This secondary for Philadelphia is so thinned out by injuries. They were shredded in that week against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, uh, If they have any sort of a strength in the team, it's their normally strong offensive line. They struggled against the Cowboys. The defense missed a ton, a ton of tackles. Once again, turnovers were a big-time problem. And it just seems like uh, in each loss, there's a different problem. Obviously, Peter des- uh, Peterson deserved the uh, kudos for his acumen during that uh, Super Bowl season. But he's also going to take a lot of heat for a team that's been very, very sloppy and very unprepared at times. Maybe all that praise for the championship season was a little bit uh, premature. Obviously, for Philadelphia, the answers, if there are any, 
are very hard to come by, but it's on Peterson to figure it out, or this very talented team is not going anywhere, and that's a guarantee for you, Mark. Well, I will take that uh, with a grain of salt and keep it in the in memory bank moving forward with Philadelphia here. And as we outlined in our newsletter this week about the Eagles going to Buffalo, this is Philadelphia's third straight road game in a row. That is almost always a fade play against situation for teams in the NFL. But to that, I will say this. A-B-O, always beware of the obvious. The obvious is that the Philadelphia Eagles laid a huge egg on national television Sunday night. The world, the betting world, will want to be betting against them this particular week because of that and the three in a row on the road for the Eagles. But read this week's Playbook Football Newsletter and you'll find out why we are not fading the Philadelphia Eagles this week and why we think Doug Peterson will swallow his pride, bounce back, and beat the Buffalo Bills this week. It's all outlined in this week's Playbook Football Newsletter. Hey, don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I, we're going to hop over to our college football game of the week here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, and we're back after this brief commercial break. It's time to experience the all-new Playbook Experts VIP Experience. Only the Playbook Experts VIP Experience offers We Pay the Juice, Conflict Game Notices, Tokens Bonuses, SMS Alerts, and Genius Game Alerts. It's the only customer experience of its kind. To find out more about becoming a Playbook Experts VIP, log on today at playbook.com or call toll-free for more information at 1-800-PLAYBOOK. Become a VIP this football season with your Playbook Experts VIP membership. Alrighty, guys, welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're going against the spread on this week's College and Pro Football card, and it's time for our College Football Game of the Week. And we think we've got a pretty good game on tap this week. How about when Wisconsin travels to the Horseshoe in Columbus to take on the Buckeyes of Ohio State? Victor, your take on the Badgers and the Buckeyes this Saturday. Boy, this was set up perfectly heading into last Saturday as a battle of unbeatens. And then uh, Illinois stepped in the way and beat Wisconsin and actually kind of showed Ohio State a little bit of a blueprint of how to beat the previously undefeated Badgers. And that's stacking the line against Jonathan Taylor and forcing quarterback Jack Cohn to uh, beat Illinois. That's what uh, the Illini did last week. And give uh, our, uh, our friend Mr. Love some credit for pulling off that upset in this week's game. What do we got? A 12 noon Eastern kickoff in the big horseshoe. Uh, the Buckeyes are on a two touchdown favorites. The over underline open at 51 has dropped a half a point as we record the show here on Wednesday morning. Currently at 50 and a half points in terms of the over underline. On the season, the Buckeyes come in four and three over under. Average line 57.2, average score 57.7. Wisconsin, of course, one of the better under teams with that great defense. I'm sure you'll talk about some of their great defensive uh, statistics. Two and five over under in the season. Average line for Wisconsin, 50.4. Average score, 47.3. So their average game has gone under by uh, just over a, a field goal for Wisconsin under in game one against South Florida, over in game two and three against Central Michigan and Michigan. And then they are on a current four-game under streak 
going under against Northwestern, Kent State, Michigan State, and, of course, last week against Illinois. Uh, Buckeyes, not much of a pattern for them as well. Over against Florida Atlantic in Game 1, under against Cincinnati and that good Bearcat defense in uh, Game 2, over against Indiana and Miami of Ohio, under against Nebraska, Michigan State, and then finally over last week in that Friday night uh, big win on the road against Northwestern. The series, not much for us to grab a hold in terms of series history patterns. Three and three over under the last six meetings between these two teams, the most recent being the 2017 championship game of the Big Ten Conference, in which the over-under line was 51, final score 27 to 21. I went under by four. The previous meeting in 2016 went over by seven. And then again in the championship game of 2014, it went over by five points. So last three meetings, two overs, one under. Based on the uh, point spread and over-under line, the implied score of the game is Ohio State right around 32, Wisconsin right around 18. Of course, uh, we've got the numbers. We've got both teams playing fabulous offense and probably even better defense. I'm a value guy, and I got this game pegged somewhere around 55 to 58 points I do know Wisconsin's gone under in each of their last four games, but one of their better over situations have been when they come in off a rare loss in their last game, and that is the case. In the last 10 years, the Badgers have gone 20-8 and eight over under when playing off a loss in their last game. Uh, for the Buckeyes, uh, most of their numbers are still over-eccentric. 19-7 and to the over after allowing less than 20 points. 9-3 and three at home versus an opponent with a winning road record. I got this game somewhere around 33 to 23, maybe 34 to 24, a little bit closer than the point spread might indicate. But either way, I got it somewhere around 55, 56, maybe 58 points. I think there's some value on the over, and that's the way we're going to this game, Mark. Victor goes to the value in the football game between the Wisconsin Badgers and the Ohio State Buckeyes goes over the total in the football contest for his over-under side in the football game. Coming into the contest here, statistically, this is a matchup of football teams that rank at the top in, in the stats in college football all season long. Wisconsin comes in with the number one scoring defense, the number one red zone defense, and number one team in college football in time of possession this year. We all know about this staunch Ohio State defense. They've held every opponent to season-low yards this year. That's on the defensive side of the football. The offensive side of the football, these teams blow the roof off offensively with what it is they do offensively. So will it be hitting or will it be pitching in this football game? We're going to find that out in this contest. Illinois obviously shocked Wisconsin last week. Wisconsin's bubble burst in this football game, and normally when we talk about bubble burst for football teams, you would think you'd put Wisconsin in that particular role, but according to the confines of our bubble burst situation, no, we do not. And the reason we do not is simply because when an undefeated team that starts out 6-0 and or better takes that first loss of the season, they're only in a bubble burst situation when they come back the next game as a favorite, not as a dog, but as a favorite. And in fact, in these bubble burst situations, 
you can very rarely find double-digit underdogs because teams are, one, normally very, very good. They're ranked football teams, and they very rarely catch doubles in situations like this. Now we're talking about 14 points for Wisconsin on the back end of all this. The Badgers are 26-1 and against the spread, 20 wins, 6 losses, and 1 push as a double-digit dog, including a perfect 7-0 and when they're coming off a straight-up end-point spread loss. Their head coach, Paul Chris, has done a great job against undefeated football teams throughout his career. 15 games, he's won 10 of those straight up on the scoreboard. Also cashed 10 of those football games as well, including a perfect 4-0 on the road against undefeated football teams. The Buckeyes come in here with the nation's number one ranked team in scoring differential, winning games by an average of 40-point five points per game on the season here. These are ludicrous numbers. If the Ohio State Buckeyes were an automobile, they'd be a Tesla, a ludicrous Tesla with the numbers that they're putting up this football season here. Their smallest win margin has been by 24 points this football season here. And I would say all in all, the Buckeyes have not taken a step back after Urban Meyer left. Ryan Day's done a great job with this football team here, obviously. The Buckeyes 4-0 to the spread as a host in this series, but the bottom line to me is the number. The number always makes the game, and in this case here, Paul Crist from Wisconsin in his career, when he's coming off a straight-up end point spread loss, he's 17-1 and straight up, 12-3 and to the point spread, including a perfect 5-0-1 to the spread, as a dog when coming off a straight-up and point spread loss. I'll grab the points with Wisconsin. The Buckeyes win the football game, but they don't have to win by a mile. I'll take the Badgers plus the points for my side in this football game. Hey, don't go away, guys. And when we come back, Dicker and I are going to do it once again in the National Football League. When we tear down a beauty in the NFC for our NFL Game of the Week. We'll do that and more. How about the Vegas when we're back with more here on Mark Lawrence against the spread. All new Playbooks tokens are here. Only at Playbook.com can you earn rewards and get up to $100 in free Playbooks tokens to use as you choose. And with your Playbooks tokens, you can use them for Playbook experts' picks and selections. Plus, you earn 20% in free bonus tokens when you do. If you haven't got your $100 in free Playbooks tokens, do so now. Simply visit Playbook.com and click on the Tokens link. It's that easy. That's the all-new Playbucks tokens waiting for you at Playbook.com. If you haven't seen Andy Isco's The Logical Approach Football Newsletter, then you owe it to yourself to download this week's newsletter in time for the football games this week. Andy's statistical and fundamental take on every week's football card is comprehensive and visionary. Many say it's like money in the bank. Check out the new issue every week at TheLogicalApproach.com. See what winning football information is all about at TheLogicalApproach.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King as we go against the spread in this week's college and pro football cards. It's time to hop over to the National Football League side of things for our NFL Game of the Week. We're going to take a preview when the undefeated San Francisco 49ers play host to the upstart Carolina Panthers. Victor, your take on the Niners and the Panthers this Sunday. Well, there's a few games in the NFL that could have been chosen. I like this one out there on the West Coast between Carolina and San Francisco. We've got the Niners somewhere around about a five and a half point favorite as we speak. The over underline opened at 41 and a half. 
and it hasn't moved off that number, still strong at that 41 and a half, despite the fact that I'm seeing a slight majority of the number on the under, about 60% of the early, early public action is on the under in this particular game. Again, it hasn't moved. If it does make a move, I actually see it going up about a half point, and I say that because I think we've got a little bit of value on this game going over the total. I understand why a lot of the uh, public money is on the under. People have short memories. A lot of the squares out there make their move this week based on solely what happened last week, and they saw the Niners beat the Redskins 9-0 to on the road. Another game that was played in a quagmire in our nation's capital. And the fact that Carolina didn't play last week, they had their bye, kind of means that Joe Public has totally forgotten that Carolina has been one of the better offensive teams in the NFL this particular season. In fact, in regards to overall over-under results, we've got a complete contrast here between these two particular teams. Carolina, 4-2. and Over-under on the season, average line in Panther games, 46.7. Average score, 49.8. Average margin, plus 3.1 points per game. And that's an offense that's scoring at a 28-per-game clip and giving up 22 uh, points per game on defense. On the flip side, Niners have been all about the unders. Uh, Not very surprising. One and five. Over under on the season for the San Francisco 49ers, one of only two, of course, NFL undefeated teams at this point of the season. Average line 46.2, average score 36.6. Their average game has gone under by 9.4 points per game. Let's not forget, though, that, you know, San Francisco started the season with three pretty high scoring games on the road against Tampa Bay, on the road against Cincinnati. And even their home game against a Roethlisberger-less Pittsburgh Steelers was slightly higher scoring than people anticipated. Based on the point spread and the over-under line, the implied final score in this game is San Francisco 23.5, Carolina 18. I've got the game slightly higher. You know, this game could be 24-20. to 20 which is, to me, a pretty low-scoring game, and still go over the total. From our database, Mark, uh, as we all know, Carolina is playing with a week of rest. They played Tampa Bay in that high-scoring game out in London Town two weeks ago, and we do know that teams who play overseas come back the next week, and they've been pretty high-scoring results. In the last three years specifically, NFL teams playing off a neutral site game have gone 8-1 and one over under when the line is less than 48 points. That applies to the Panthers in this particular game. A team that has scored, uh, I believe, 38 and 34 points in each of their last two games. In the last two years, NFL teams have gone a perfect 6-0 and to the over for road underdogs that scored 34 or more. In each of their last two games, that applies to the Niners. I'm sorry, to the Carolina Panthers, excuse me. We mentioned the fact that um, San Francisco is off that big 9-0 road win last week against the Washington Redskins. And here's another 8-1 over under out of the database. NFL teams off a road win in which they scored 10 or less points 
have gone eight and one to the over since 2011 when the over under line was less than 47 points. Again, we're all about value. And if this game was played in the first four weeks of the season, the over under line would be somewhere in the range of 46 to 48 points. It's at 41 and a half right now. I think there's some value on the over. That's the way I'm leaning right now at Carolina, San Francisco. I think the line's going to go up by a half a point, maybe a full point. So if you're going to join me in this over, you'd probably want to play it as early in the week as possible. But yes, Mark, right now we're leaning over with the value in the Carolina-San Francisco game. Victor likes the value. He likes the leaning to the over value in this football matchup Sunday between the Panthers and the 49ers. And as we outline in this week's Playbook Football Newsletter, my weekly Bet You Did Know column, this week it's titled My Favorite Memory. And what it's all about are teams in the National Football League that played in London the previous game, and they come back in their next game with an over-under total that's 44 or fewer points. That's the case for the Carolina Panthers in this football game. Happens to be on the blind, a nice 19-6 and point spread situation all-time in these particular games with this week, Carolina coming back from London with that extra week of rest. The Carolina Panthers have not lost a football game straight up or against the spread under Kyle Allen, who's done a masterful job since taking over for Cam Newton. There's a race here right now going on this football season between Kyle Allen and Teddy Bridgewater for what might be the newfound quarterback in the National Football League this year, because both of these Backup quarterbacks are now currently undefeated and guiding their team toward the playoffs. The Carolina Panthers also come in here 7-1 and one against the spread with a 500 or better record when they have rest, and they're coming off back-to-back wins. Looking at the San Francisco 49er side of things, they've gotten off to this terrific, terrific start in the National Football League, undefeated them and the New England Patriots, the only two football teams to date in the NFL that have not tasted defeat. San Francisco, a perfect 6-0 to start the football season here. Uh, we also note that uh, teams that are 6-0 in the National Football League, in Game 7, playing a non-division opponent, they're just 9-18 and against the spread, 5-16 and to the number when they've been favored in this particular role. And speaking about favorites, the San Francisco 49ers just 3-15 and to the spread the last 18 games that they laid points. There's a huge rushing advantage to the 49ers in this contest here. They have also the number one passing secondary in the NFL. Their numbers, are there's nothing phony about them. They've been really, really terrific thus far this football season. But when push comes to shove in this football game, it's the points that matter. And I call out the fact that Carolina has dominated all time in this series since becoming an expansion team in the NFL. The Panthers are 17-4 and four against the spread against the 49ers all time, including 9-1 and one to the spread as a visitor. With that, we'll grab up the points with Carolina for our side in this football game on Sunday. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, it's time for one of our favorite segments on the show as we hop out to Las Vegas to check out the Vegas vibe with our good friend Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And Andy, as you mentioned last week, I'm sure the days are getting cooler and cooler, especially at night in Vegas this time of the year. 
Exactly, Mark. It's good to be with you once again. And of course, it's hard to believe that we are approaching the midpoint of the NFL season. In fact, uh, following this week's games, we'll have played 121 of the uh, 256 games that are on the NFL regular season schedule. College football right at the halfway point starting the second half. In fact, some teams are playing for a ninth straight week in college football, and I'll be interested to follow to see if the wear and tear of that long season takes a toll on them this Saturday. You know, Andy, that's a great point you mentioned here. And before we get over to what's going on in Vegas, as far as the lines are concerned in the contests, uh, the point you mentioned about some teams playing without rest, it's really been a good handicapping tool that I've used in the past of isolating teams in the month of November when they wind down towards their last two or three games of the football season when they played continuously without that week of rest and they take on teams that have benefited from a week of rest, it ends up being a pretty nice little handicapping edge. So as you mentioned, Andy, perhaps look at that and put that into your portfolio this time of the year when you start to look at some of these tiring by, football by the, teams. By the way, Mark, that's especially true if the team that's facing the team that hasn't had rest has had a bye within the, say, two to three weeks prior to the encounter with the uh, uh, supposedly fatigued team. Yeah, it's true because they do get their batteries charged up and the other team is running low as far as the batteries are concerned. So uh, that's real nice. We can call that one of our, uh, I don't know what the name of the batteries are, but we'll call that one of those plays in college football when they happen to come about beginning this time of the year. We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, publisher of one of the best reading newsletters that you'll find. And in the Logical Approach newsletter this week, Andy, I noticed you broke down the National Football League home dogs with a question you asked, are they endangered species or not? And Andy does a terrific job breaking down home dogs in the NFL to find out whether they still are good plays or not. I know, Andy, there was a time back when we began handicapping in the late 70s and 80s, that National Football League home dogs were almost automatic plays. But after reading your newsletter and looking at that, there might be a different conclusion to National Football League home dogs these days. Well, well, Mark, actually, uh, of course, if you go back to the early days of handicapping, and we're talking 30, 40 years ago, this is uh, really even before the age of personal computers and certainly before the Internet, the information was not widely available, and yet it made sense to understand that the public at large would be betting the favored team. After all, they are the better team, whether or not they're at home or on the road. As a result, there was always line value in playing home underdogs. Yet really, when you take a look at it, the results that I, that I and I do the study every year, is that whereas home underdogs are still the most profitable, well, I'll put that word in quotes because they haven't really been profitable over the years. That's the bottom line of the study. They are still the best performing of the four main categories, home dog, home favorite, road dog, road favorite, uh, but people I think would be surprised to know the extent to which home dogs have not been profitable. As I say, it, rather than say they're the best of the four, they are the least negative of those four main <laughs> categories, and I think that surprises a lot of people. Uh, by the way, one other thing about the NFL, and I, I imagine you may have noticed this, is that if you look at the 12 playoff teams from last season, the 12 teams, three of those teams have already had three-game losing streaks this year, straight up we're talking about, and we're not even at the halfway point of, this, of the season. And if Chicago and Philadelphia each happen to lose this week, that would be five such teams that will have had losing streaks of three games or more halfway, less than halfway into the season or about halfway into the season. I'm not sure that, th that even the three that, that have already occurred, and I'm going to go back from memory here and say it's been Dallas, it's been the Rams, and... Um, 
uh, there's one other team. Maybe it's, it's a, it could be the Chargers, I believe, uh, who have lost three in a row. I don't know that we've ever had as many as three uh, have three-game losing streaks. So I think it's an indication of just how much the NFL can change from the end of one season to the early part of the next. It is, Andy. You can call it parody or whatever you do, but the bottom line here is it's ever-evolving the National Football League. And that's why we like to keep a pulse on what's going in. Andy does a great job with that in his Logical Approach newsletter here, especially from a statistical perspective. You want to download your copy now, guys. Log on at thelogicalapproach.com to get your copy of Andy's football newsletter this week. And with it, Andy, let's ship it over to the what's going on in Vegas from the contest side of things. And uh, I do know this. When we spoke last week, there was a leader in the Superbook contest. In the classic contest, that was 27-3 and three to begin the football season here. I'm only going to guess that he's going to begin coming back to the pack rather than surging forward. Tell me that that leader did not improve on that record last week. No, in fact, he had a, a very poor week, which makes it interesting because, as you know, the Westgate pays a, uh, a premium prize, a little cash bonus, for the best record after the first four weeks and the fir- best record after the first eight weeks, which is different than the circuit, which we'll talk to uh, in- shortly. Uh, after the first four weeks, uh, I believe the record was 19-1, and one, and uh, this, uh, this entrant won the, content, won the first four-week prize. And he seemed to be headed to an easy win in the... Uh, First, uh, first eight-week prize, twenty-seven to three, as you mentioned. I believe it was a three-game lead. He went one and four last week, which uh, shockingly dropped his winning percentage to the season uh, to eighty percent. He's twenty-eight <laughs> and seven, uh, which is uh, still outstanding. And as of course we expected, it would uh, regress. Of course, the problem with that, that that the challenge it presents, is you don't know exactly when or how it's going to regress. So. Uh, you want to be careful if you're going to be tailing uh, the leaders in the contest. We never know when a, a subpar week is going to occur, just like we never know when a 5-0 and week is going to occur. In any event, at 28-7, and seven, that's 28 of a possible 35 points. That works out to uh, an 80% uh, winning percentage. Uh, but his grasp on that first eight-week prize is very narrow uh, now. In fact, it's just down to a game. There are two contestants with 27 points, uh, two more at 26 and a half three at 25 and a half. And if you go all the way down, uh, there are 29 contestants at 24 and a half or more points. And that works out to 70% exactly at 29. Sounds like a very high number. And on a raw basis, it is when you consider that the field of entrance is roughly, I think it's 33, 28, something like that. The number of entries, you're still talking about less than 1%. Still very impressive, but when you consider it in the global picture of 3,300-plus entrants, it's still a very, very small percentage, indicative of just how difficult it is. So uh, congratulations to those who have been uh, hitting at that clip so far. As far as the top five consensus plays last week, uh, they had winners with the uh, Indianapolis Colts, Minnesota Vikings, and the um, Los Angeles Rams. Uh, The two losers last week, the New York Giants, a lot of people laid the three. In fact, that was the number one uh, selection in the entry in, in the contest. Uh, 1,076 entries on the Giants, basically a third of the entire field. Very close, the Rams, which did succeed, 1,073. So a difference of three just separating uh, the top two choices. I can't recall that we've ever had two selections in the same week 
uh, taken by nearly a third of the contestants. Uh, the 49ers uh, did not cover. They lost by half a point, or they missed pushing by half a point, laying nine and a half in that uh, beautiful 9 nothing win at uh, Washington last week. So for the week, the consensus, 3-2, and 19-16 and 16 for the season. A losing record when the overall contest has been on the favorite team in a game. That's 26-34-2. However, when the underdogs have been the more popular choice, Slight profit at 22 and 19. Moving over to the Super Contest Gold, that's the winner-take-all $5,000 entry fee. The consensus uh, there last week was three and two winners with the Colts, Vikings, and Rams. Uh, losers with the Giants and, surprisingly, the New York Jets. But keep in mind, there's only 117 contestants in that contest, so we're not going to have a huge split. The Giants were the number one uh, team selected with 41 of the 117 selecting that. Colts were uh, number two, and the Jets were actually the fifth selection, but only tw- only 29 uh, of the 117 picked that, but that was good enough to be fifth. For the year, the consensus now 21-17-1. Favorites faring better than when the overall Super Contest Classic picks them, 23-22-1, a winning percentage, but losing at the window. When underdogs have been the choice of the $5,000 entry fee contestants, they've performed extremely well, 33 33- 22 and 1. The one leader in the contest has a record of 25 and 10. That's 71.4%. That's very impressive. There are two contestants at 24 points, two more at 23 and a half. And if you go down to the top 25, there are 25 at 21 or more. And that's exactly 60% of a possible 35 points. So uh, the classic uh, still showing some very good results at the top. Now we're going to go over to the uh, Circa uh, contest. That's the new contest this year. It's patterned after the uh, Super Contest at the uh, Westgate. Uh, this is by the being run right now by the Golden Gate and the D in Las Vegas, uh, soon to be uh, home of the new Circa Hotel, expected to enter oh, to open. Excuse me, in just over a year in December of 2020. Uh, last week, the top five consensus plays, interestingly, in this contest were all favored teams. They had winners with the Rams and the Colts. They had losers with the Giants and the Bears. And they had one push because the line in this contest had the 49ers laying nine to the Washington Redskins instead of the nine and a half. That was actually the more consensus betting number and also the line that I mentioned in the Westgate contest. So two, two, and one for the consensus in the Circa. 17, 16, and two for the season. A slight losing record when the top selection in each game is on the favorite team, 27, 30, and 1. However, also doing very well when the underdog in this contest is the preferred side, 28, 17, and 1. I mentioned before the standings here in the circuit. They have a prize for the uh, uh, best record after the uh, first four weeks. And then rather than have it after the first week, what the circuit does is they have quarterly prizes, weeks one through four, weeks five through eight, nine through 12, and 13 through 17. And uh, when we, if you recall, uh, this is before we started doing the podcast, but over the summer, the uh, circuit was expecting to have an overlay. They guaranteed a million and a half dollar prize fund. Well, it turns out they did not have that overlay because they got more than the 1,500 entrants needed. They got 1,875. 
And so the extra money, instead of going into the main prize pool, actually went into the pool for the quarterly prizes, which was guaranteed initially at $50,000 per quarter. But with the increased prize fees, that is now $143,000 plus per quarter for the contestants who achieve the best record over those four weeks for the first three quarters and the final five weeks at the end of the season. And currently, 13-2 uh, and two is good enough to lead the uh, uh, the second quarter, the final week of the second quarter is this week. There are two con there are a number of contestants at 12-2-1 and one, and a number more at 12-3. and three. So $143,000 on the line in week uh, number eight. As far as the overall standings, the leader... 27 of a possible 35 points. That's 77.1%. Overall, 17 of the 1,875 contestants are hitting at 70% or more. That's 24.5 out of a possible uh, 35 points. So very impressive results there. Finally, in the Golden Nugget contest, that's the one contest, the one high-end contest that involves both college and NFL selections, sides only, no totals, and uh, all games are, uh, are offered in this contest on which there are a line uh, on the betting board when the contest lines come out on Wednesday afternoon. Seven selections rather than five selections per week. The sole leader has a record of 34-14-1. That's 34.5 of a possible 49 points. That's 70.4%, and about... Uh, uh, let's see, it looks like about 24, 25 contestants are at 31 out of a possible 49 points. That's a little bit over 62%. So uh, the Golden Nugget Contest, I think running more along the lines of what we've seen out of the regular Super Contest Classic over the years, where the leader at about this time of the year has roughly about 70%. Some years it's been a little bit higher. We've actually had a, a contest uh, winner several years ago, four or five years ago, who for the season had about 79% winners. That's about where the uh, current leader of the Super Contest is right now at that 80%. But a one in four week has uh, reduced his winning percentage. It's also brought a lot more contestants into the top, uh, top positions fighting out for the uh, top place in that contest. Andy Isco reviewing all of what's going on with the major contests in Las Vegas. As we expected, the leader in the Superbook Classic came back to the pack a little bit this week. We'll see what happens this week as we head into this weekend's football games. And Andy, as we always do on the show this week, I know our listeners would love to know what's going on as far as the line moves in Las Vegas are concerned. Are there any line moves that are noteworthy this particular week? And I know the advanced lines that come out from the Westgate that came out last week. I know there's a couple of games that were really rather kiltered because largely of injuries, if you would. Let the listeners know about what you see in those games this week. Yeah, just as an aside, and I'll try and have the answer. You may have already uh, researched it. I know I'm going to be uh, researching it over the uh, next seven days. And that is the unusual situation uh, this week in the NFL with two teams having buys. There are 15 games being played. In four of the 15, we already have solid double-digit point spreads, and we have a fifth, the game between Arizona and New Orleans, which is right on the cusp of being a 10-point line. So we could have the possibility of a third of all games, five of the 15 games this week, having double-digit point spreads. I'm not sure if it's a record. I think it probably is. 
but I'm going to go ahead and do the research and, uh, and try and remember to report those results next week. As far yeah. as the line moves from the uh, lines that were posted at the Westgate last Tuesday, this is before even the uh, Thursday night game between Denver and Kansas City, which I'll talk about a little bit later in this rundown. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings opened as 14.5-point home favorites over Washington in the game to be played on Thursday this week. Uh, following Minnesota's third straight impressive performance by quarterback Kirk Cousins uh, in, uh, in their route this past, uh, this past week, or this solid win over Detroit and Washington's poor performance, although you really can't take much away from the weather conditions in that game playing such a factor. Nonetheless, there was an adjustment when the line came out Sunday afternoon of two points. Minnesota opened as 16.5-point home favorites. Interesting, rather than go to 17, the line has actually come down to 16 uh, as we uh, record the podcast with still uh, a day or so to go before uh, the Thursday night game. So I'll be interested to see if that line, if the public gets involved and that line goes up to a key number of 17. Other games worth noting, uh, this one, not so much an adjustment in the line, but in the line move, the Bears at home against the Chargers. The line was six. Uh, when it came out last week, and it opened once again six on Sunday, but the early movement has put it on the Chargers now, has gone towards the Chargers, bears down to a four-point favorite. The New York Jets at Jacksonville, the Jaguars, a nice win at Cincinnati. It was close for a while, but they ultimately won the game by 10 points. And the Jets, of course, uh, looking uh, very bad on uh, Monday night against New England in a rematch of an earlier season game in which they similarly played very poorly. The Jaguars were four-and-a-half-point favorites when that line was up a week ago. The line came down prior to the Monday night game when it was reposted on Tuesday morning. A one-and-a-half-point adjustment. The Jaguars up to six-point home favorites. Cincinnati and the Rams will uh, get together in London this weekend. Last week, the Rams were opened as nine and a half point favorites. The early money came in and pushed them up to a 10 point favorite over the Bengals. The line came down prior to the playing of their two games on Sunday. Uh, after the uh, Bengals lost to uh, Jacksonville on Sunday and the Rams, maybe not as impressive as the final score would indicate, although they dominated Atlanta all the way. The offensive statistics not that are important, but they won 37 to 10. Two and a half point adjustment as the Rams were opened at 12 and a half on Sunday afternoon, quickly bet up to 13 and a half. It settled back down to a 13-point home favorite. There was no line last week on the Arizona at New Orleans game because of the uncertain status of uh, quarterback Drew Brees and to a lesser extent that of Alvin Kamara, although Kamara was still expected to play last week in, uh, in the Saints, uh, in Saints game, uh, but uh, he did not. Now both are questionable. When the line came out this week, uh, the Saints were 7.5-point favorites and they've been bet up to, by two points to 9.5. Oakland at uh, Houston, uh, the Texans open, were six and a half. Uh, they uh, had a competitive loss uh, at Indianapolis. Uh, the Ra- at, at Indianapolis, the Raiders had a similarly competitive loss, despite the final score not indicating such, uh, in Green Bay. Yet when the line came up, there was a half point adjustment. Houston opened seven, but it's been back down to the bet back down, bet back down to six and a half. Speaking of Indianapolis, they were four and a half point. Uh, home favorites uh, last week against Denver. Following Sunday's games, there was a two-point adjustment. Colts opened at six and a half, bet down to five and a half. The Patriots, 11 and a half point home favorites against the uh, Cleveland Browns. Uh, Cleveland on a bye this past week. The Patriots played Monday night. When the line came out on Sunday afternoon, the Patriots were made 10-point 
home favorite. So despite the fact that neither team played, there was a, an adjustment downward. When the line came off from Monday night, came back up Tuesday morning, we saw what the Jet, what the Patriots did against the Jets. Pats opened at 12 and a half. So in a, a one-point adjustment from where it was posted a week ago, it's been bet up to 13. The interesting game I alluded to earlier, Green Bay at Kansas City. The line was posted last week. Prior to the Thursday night game between the Packers and Chiefs, the game in which Mahomes was injured and expected out for perhaps as few as three weeks, perhaps longer than a month, depending on the healing process, the Chiefs opened as four-point home favorites, and early money before the game was taken off on Thursday came in on the Packers, such as the Chiefs were down to three-and-a-half-point home favorites. When the game was put back up after Green Bay defeated Oakland and the extent of the Mahomes injury was known, the Packers opened as three-point road favorites, so effectively a six-and-a-half-point adjustment from where the line was after uh, uh, the early action came in on Kansas City uh, to, to move it on Green Bay when Kansas City was bet down from four to three. The line has gone up another point to four. So if you go from last week when the line was put up to where the line currently sits, from minus four to plus four on the Chiefs, that's an eight-point adjustment for Patrick Mahomes. Probably one of the biggest adjustments we've seen to a quarterback. Maybe the other one would have involved Aaron Rodgers a few years ago when he was out uh, for the uh, uh, Packers uh, uh, in uh, the middle of the season. Finally, Monday night, Miami at Pittsburgh. The Steelers open 16.5-point home favorites. Uh, when uh, Miami uh, had their effort against Buffalo, Pittsburgh, of course, on a bye, the line was reposted with the Steelers only a 16-point favorite, only a half-point adjustment down. The betting action has, however, pushed this line further down to Pittsburgh just 14.5, and, and we'll be wondering to see if that line uh, goes down to 14. I'm sure that the Sharps and the professionals already are the reason why that line went down from 16 to 14 and a half. Not sure if any of them will get involved if the line does go down to 14 because the Sharps take the approach, understandably so. Why would I take plus 14 when plus 16 or plus 14 and a half was available earlier in the week? Good observation from Andy Isco at TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas with a look at the current line moves and the advanced lines for next week from the Westgate Superbook in Las Vegas. And Andy, as we always do to end up this segment here, I know our listeners would like to know what you've got on tap this week for your NFL play of the week, and I'm sure everybody's hoping it's much like the Minnesota Vikings last week. Well, Mark, I actually did not get a chance because of those extensive line moves, so I'll just quickly run down those advanced lines for Week 9, beginning with Thursday, October 31st. It should be a fun game on Halloween evening. The 49ers will be at Arizona, NFC West matchup. The 49ers favored by seven on the road. On Sunday, they'll be playing in London, England, Houston at Jacksonville. The Houston Texans, three-point favorites. Buffalo at home, favored by 10 over Washington. Carolina at home, favored by four and a half over Tennessee. Philadelphia at home, favored by three over Chicago. No line on Minnesota, Kansas City. Uh, uncertain status, I guess, of Patrick Mahomes and maybe some other key injuries, even though the injury was known when these lines came out Tuesday of this week. Jets, surprisingly, favored by six and a half. Maybe not so surprisingly when you understand they're going to be playing at Miami against the Dolphins. Two games at Pickham, Indianapolis at Pittsburgh, Detroit at Oakland. This will be Oakland's first home game uh, since the second week of the season. I'll have more about that in a moment. Tampa Bay at Seattle, Seattle favored by five and a half. Denver, a one-point home favorite over Cleveland. Green Bay favored by four in Los Angeles at the Chargers. 
New England favored by six and a half at Baltimore. And Monday night, a rematch of an opening week game. Dallas will be at the New York Giants. The Dallas Cowboys favored by nine points. As far as the play I'm going to use this week, I'll look at the game between Houston and Oakland. I mentioned uh, that uh, this will be the end of a lengthy stretch for the Raiders in which they will have played five consecutive games away from home, uh, all against quality teams. Of course, the first two of the games of the five were true road games. Then they won the game in London, had a bye week, and they finished off with their game last week at Green Bay and this week at Houston. So they'll be looking forward for this long, extensive play away from home to end. At the same time, this is a key scheduling spot for the Houston Texans. They're off-road games at Kansas City, where they pulled a nice upset, at Indianapolis last week, where they uh, they lost 30-23, to had a chance to tie the game at the end. This game against Oakland is their only home game for the better part of the next month, because next week, they're in Jackson, They're in London, as I mentioned, to play Jacksonville. They have their bye. They return from their bye at Baltimore. So really uh, a tough stretch for Houston. This is a game where they have a very favorable situation. They're favored by six and a half. We're hearing all about, of course, Patrick Mahomes. We're hearing about Russell Wilson. We're hearing about uh, Lamar Jackson. And we're hearing a little bit about the Houston Texans quarterback, Deshaun Watson, who uh, has uh, had a fine season last year. He's improving upon that this year. And Houston, a team somewhat under the radar when it comes to potential contenders, but They've played extremely well. I like the spot for Houston. I don't like the spot for the Raiders. And this line, which had been seven for a little bit, down to six and a half. So you've got an opportunity to lay points with a dynamic quarterback, a solid defense going up against a team that's done an awful lot of traveling over the past month and a half. I'll go with the Houston Texans minus six and a half over the Oakland Raiders. Andy likes the Houston Texans over the Oakland Raiders, the well-traveled Oakland Raiders this particular week for his complimentary play on the show this week. And Andy, once again, a great job on the show, as always. We're going to wish you the very best of luck this week. And, uh, Victor, before I let Andy go, was there a question you wanted to run by him on the show this week? Uh, No, I'm good. Andy actually answered my question when he went over this week's line, so we are good to go. And uh, I know you're in agreement with Houston laying the points against Oakland, so uh, let's make it a trifecta, and I'll join you guys on that play. Awesome. We appreciate that, Victor. Thank you. And Andy, once again, best of luck this week. We'll catch you next week, and may the ball bounce your way. Thanks, Mark. Let's all of us have a great week, and we'll look forward to uh, doing it all again in seven days. Hey, look forward to it, Andy. Thanks much. Be good. That was Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, we'll put the final wraps on this show with our awesome angle of the week, along with complimentary plays from Victor and myself when we're back with the final segment here Mark Lawrence against the spread. Attention sports fans, it's time to get in on all the football action at mybookie.ag. This industry-leading website is renowned for having the best odds and more betting options than any other sports book online. This is why Mark Lawrence only endorses mybookie.ag. Call toll-free at 1-844-900-2387 or go online to mybookie.ag to open an account and start winning today. Get the odds you want and the fast payouts you need guaranteed. That's mybookie.a as an apple and g as in games. Tell them Mark Lawrence sent you. Only the biggest. Only the best. Only at mybookie.ag. Sign up today. 
And now, the moment you've been waiting for. From the hot South Florida sun, it's Mark Lawrence with his awesome angle of the week. All right, guys, let's get to it. Our awesome angle of the week. It comes from this week's Playbook Football Newsletter, and we call it Big Time Bounce Back. And what we're looking to do in college football is to play on any underdog that's off back-to-back straight-up favorite losses if they were in a bowl game last season and are taking on a greater than 700 opponent who comes in off a double-digit win in which they did not lose to the spread. We do that because these teams in these big bounce-back roles are 28-11-1 against the spread. Our play this week will be on Oklahoma State. We'll grab the Cowboys plus the points for our awesome angle play of the week this week. And with that, let's turn it over to Victor King from King Creole Sports to find out what Victor's got on tap this week at playbook.com. And also, Victor, if you would, your complimentary play for our listeners as well. Can do. We want to thank everybody who joined us uh, over the weekend. Last Saturday, our four-star over of the week in college football was in the ACC, the game between Duke and Virginia. Final score was 48-14. to 14. We love playing overs in college football that we get to cash in the third quarter, and that certainly happened in that particular game. So we want to thank everybody who joined us, four-star over of the week. College football totals. On the season, 10-5 and five now, we're very, very excited by those results. And then on Sunday night, I don't know how we did it, but we squeezed out a winner in the Sunday night game on under the total in the Dallas-Philadelphia game, the game we have talked about, uh, we've gone to numerous lengths to talk about earlier in the show. I don't know how it stayed under the total of 50 points, but it did. There were 34 points scored at the half. But the second half of that game only had 10 combined points. So uh, it's nice at least finishing the weekend, knowing that your last play is in the books and it was a winner on Dallas and Philadelphia under the total. This week in the NFL, we've already got a five-star, our college, our NFL game of the month. It's an over. It's one in the early games. And it'll be up at the playbook.com website sometime today on Wednesday. And for our free play of the week, we've got to give the ball back to Tuco. Uh, to be quite honest, he's been the highlight of the totals tip sheet this season. He got off his loss two weeks ago with a winner last Thursday night when Tuco said to go over the total for the Kansas City Chiefs over their total of 26.5 on the road against the Denver Broncos. A game that Tuco somehow won, despite the fact that uh, Mahomes went out in the first quarter of that particular game. Still, Kansas City scored 30 in that game. Tuco rebounded. He's now 5-2 and two with his team totals for the season. And, yeah, we're going there again. And when I say we're going there, we're going back to that stinky team we were holding our nose about earlier in the show as Tuco's going Cincinnati Bengals under their team total of 18.5 points as they travel to London to take on the St. Louis Rams. Hey, it doesn't take much of a genius to go low with a team that's averaging only, what, 16.3 points per game on the season. And Cincinnati is basically uh, stuck on 17 these days. In their last six games, the Bengals have scored 17, 17, 23, 3, 17, and 17 points. So that seems to be the magic number for Cincinnati. When we got a shot to go under 18 and a half, 
We're going to play it. Cincinnati is averaging only 11.3 points per game in the last 10 years when installed as double-digit dogs, and they're currently plus 13 in this particular game. We know the Rams' defense is rounding into form. That trade for Jalen Ramsey looks like it already paid off dividends in last week's win, and we also know the Rams have allowed only 11.7 points per game on defense when favored by more than 10 points. We also ran a query in our database for NFL regular season neutral site games like this one in London, and here's what the database revealed. Underdogs of three or more points in a neutral site regular season game have averaged only 11.0 points per game on offense in the last three seasons. There you have it, Mark. Tuco's team total of the week, Cincinnati Bengals, under 18.5 points against the Rams in London. Don't forget our five-star NFL game of the week goes on Sunday, and it'll be available at the playbook.com website by Wednesday evening. That's Victor going under the total, joining Tuco with his complimentary play under the Cincinnati Bengals total of 18.5 points for his complimentary play on the show this week. And once again, be sure to download your copy of the Playbook Totals football newsletter to put yourself in the winner circle as far as handicapping NFL totals go this week and for Victor's big five-star NFL Game of the Week this Sunday. Before I get to my complimentary play on the show this week, I want to remind our listeners once again out there that our sponsors, MyBookie.ag, the only offshore sports book that I, Mark Lawrence, personally endorse, is offering sign-up bonuses to all Playbook readers. When you bet college football, you win, you get paid at mybookie.ag. When you bet NFL football, you win, you get paid at mybookie.ag. You can also get a sign-up bonus when you log on today at mybookie.ag and use the promo code PLAYBOOK. Or give them a call toll-free. The number is 1-844-866-2387. That's 1-844-866-BETS. To get your sign-up bonus at mybookie.ag in time for the games this weekend. And speaking about this weekend, I'm releasing my five-star college football game of the month on Saturday. It's part of another $99 football weekend of winners, including every college football and NFL release that I make this Saturday through Monday. You can log on today to sign up at playbook.com or give our office a call toll-free for fast, friendly, instant sign-up service at 1-800-321-7777. My complimentary play on the football card this week, this comes directly from our college football playbook newsletter selection. We're going to go with the Temple Owls and grab the points against Central Florida this week. And for Central Florida, the bloom is definitely off the rose. This is a football team that has no chance whatsoever of playing on a New Year's Day 6 bowl game this year with two losses. Uh, they're in a bit of a down spell, if you will, after having had that win streak snap, that 25-game regular win streak snap. They're now 0-4 to the spread the last four football games, and they simply do not seem to be playing with the same intensity that they had prior to that snap win streak. They're allowing 25.1 points a game against FBS opponents this football season. In the Temple Owls, they lost last week in what was likely a letdown after having upset Memphis as a home dog the week before, they come right back as a home dog in this football game. And in fact, they bring a six and one point spread record as home dogs of seven or more points into this contest. 
Temple also ranked number two in the country in red zone defense this year. That's always nice to bring into a game against a team like Central Florida. With that, we'll play the points with Temple for our complimentary play on the show this week. And that's going to put the final wraps on this edition of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, and until next week, our good friend Jack Reynolds, who we know is listening from above. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.